welcome to the Man Talk Show. I'm Connor Beaton. I'm not going to do the traditional intro today because I've got a bit of a special episode for you. As many of you know, or maybe don't know, uh, I produced an incredible uh, four-part video series, four-part video interview series uh, in partnership with Saks Underwear, um, who is a local Vancouver company from, from my from my hometown. And uh, they have done some incredible work. If you haven't, I'm going to shamelessly plug their underwear because I absolutely love them. Uh, so guys, if you are looking to have some more comfortable underwear, if you are tired of your balls sticking to your legs <laughs> in hot, hot, sweaty summers, uh, you should definitely go check out Saks Underwear, S-A-X-X, because they are phenomenal. Um, and uh, they, they really are comfortable. Uh, but, you know, I've had this idea of creating a a video series that is conversations for men from men. And I wanted to dig into some of the topics that a lot of men are struggling with these days, trying to trying to understand topics like consent and, you know, the Me Too movement and things like pornography, how to be a great father, you know, how our fathers impacted us as men. And so, you know, I, I put this idea forward to Sachs and I said, hey, listen, I've been wanting to do this for a while. They had been supporting our events, which was in- incredible. They'd been supporting our live events for for quite a while. And I said, listen, I've been wanting to do this idea. And, and the concept is kind of like a TV show where I interview some incredible people to talk about these different subjects. And they loved it. They said, you know what? Um, we are all about challenging discomfort and we are all about you know breaking the status quo. And so we would love to help you ha- have this conversation. So we partnered up. And we filmed over two days, although it took months and months of planning, we filmed over two days these four episodes that kind of look like a a TV-style interview series. So today's episode is going to be all about modern dating. And in this modern dating episode, uh, you're going to hear from three people and myself. So there's me, uh, there's my wife, Fiona Farron, who's a, a licensed marriage and family therapist. Uh, and the founder of Mindful MFT. There is Mr. Mark Groves, uh, who's an incredible uh, relationship expert. Um, he is the founder of Create the Love. And then Zeke Thomas. And Zeke Thomas, uh, if you're a basketball fan, he is the son of Isaiah Thomas, who is the legendary uh, Detroit Pistons player. Uh, but Zeke is an incredible man. He's a DJ. He's an artist. He's um, he's done some incredible work in, in the creative field. Um, but he is also a sexual assault survivor. And he tells a little bit about his story on here. He's a uh, openly gay uh, black man who was sexually assaulted uh, through one of the dating apps. Uh, and so he shares a bit about his story on this episode. But this episode is going to dive into quite a few topics. So in the beginning, we talk about each person's individual uh, story and their relationship to modern dating. And we, and we start to talk about some of their stories in the dating world. And then we start to get more into uh, the world of how has dating changed for men post Me Too? Uh, what does consent look like? What are some of the challenges that come up? What are some of the challenges that are happening because of dating apps? And uh, there's some really powerful topics here. It's pretty open. It's pretty raw. Uh, it's, it's pretty in-depth. So I hope that you enjoy. And uh, next month, uh, we're going to release the porn episode. And so uh, on that one, we have three guys come in and they share all about porn. It's really, really... Uh, it, it is legitimately one of the most <laughs> uh, real, raw, vulgar, in-depth, 
no holds bars, no bullshit conversation between four men because I I'm included in that one and I share some of my personal uh, journey and relationship to porn. And I even share a story about uh, getting busted watching porn. That was that was fun. That's going to be out there on the internet for the rest of my life. That my kids will probably find one day. Um, <laughs> but it, that that's a really incredible one. And then we have an episode on fatherhood that'll be coming out in October. And we have an episode on mental health that'll be coming out in November. So all really powerful episodes. Uh, if you are interested in watching the series live, if you start listening to this conversation, you're like, geez, this is great. I want to watch this. Uh, just Google search question the rules or go onto YouTube and look at question the rules uh, and, and you'll find the series there. There's only one episode live right now. Um, or follow me on Instagram and you can check the links in my bio for a link to uh, the full series. So without any further delay, please enjoy the interview series, Question the Rules of Men. Hi. <laughs> What's going on? You ready to talk about some, some modern dating? Yes. Do it. Question, question the rules a little bit. I feel like you question the rules all the time. With, I think with you dating. have to. Yeah? How come? Well, hmm. Well, I think we, we live so much of our lives in the box, in the rules, being who we think we need to be. You know, I think there are for sure certain aspects of dating that are important, you mm. know, like obviously things like respect, kindness, all those things. But the rules of how you choose a partner, what is important to you, all these things are often taught to us till we actually explore, why do I pick the people I pick? Why am I attracted to the people I'm attracted to? Mm. Most of so us we, sort of date blindly. We do. We all are kind of conformed to these rules that we've kind of just seen on sitcoms or television or read about or watched relationships, but you don't really get to see the intricates of those relationships you're really seeing or observing on television. I mean, it's you're kind of like using almost rehearsed lines that you've mm. seen um, such in examples. But... When you break down to dating, as we were talking about off camera, it's like with with chemistry, you can't really, you know, define when we when you see somebody or you're interested in somebody and that chemistry hits, then you all just basically got like your tongue out. You're like, hey. <laughs> all your like all your <laughs> rules go out the window. Yeah. yeah. All the rules are out the window. That I think that's when you know that you actually give a shit. Well and the and the, <laughs> and the worst thing is is when you're still trying to conform to the rules, but you're feeling like that, and that's just a that's just a whole mess. Yeah, so. when you're when you're, when what is whatever defined as chemistry is in conflict with a rule mm. that you've learned. So where did you all learn about dating and relationships? Like maybe let's just start with you. And Vienna, <laughs> uh, tell us about where you learned about dating relationships and, and what you learned. I mean, relationships, I think the first one, obviously, is the family system. Um, so for me personally, it was my parents who got uh, separated when I was in first grade. And so witnessing and watching their experience as a couple, um, obviously very young for me, but um, seeing the divorce go through the separation, it took nine years until they got actually divorced in the court system. Wow. And yeah, I mean, I think what Zeke was saying, obviously in television and movies and, um, and the family system, these are the places where we are receiving the messaging around what it looks like to be in a relationship and what mm. the rules are. And just going back to where you guys started, I think why we question it is that we're all programmed 
right? There's all of this conditioning and this programming that's defining the way, the stories that we tell ourselves about relationships and how we show up in them. And if we're not, I would say personally for me, until I actually questioned the rules, until I actually questioned why I was doing what I was doing, why I wasn't setting boundaries, why I was playing small in certain ways, until I actually started to question it and pivot and replace it, uh, I wasn't having fulfilling, expansive, healthy relationships. It was actually literally until I started questioning the rules that I was able to expand into something that was healthy and functional and good. What was it like going through and, and sort of seeing the deconstruction of relationship between your parents over the course of nine years? Like that's a long divorce cycle. It's a long so breakup. I, I would imagine that it probably, yeah, that's, that's a nine-year breakup. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. I can imagine that that wasn't exactly easy. So what was your experience in like that and how did that shape you? Well, so I wouldn't even say it's just nine years. I mean, I think it goes and goes and goes and, and there's still all of the pieces that get integrated and triggered even after the divorce gets signed, right? It doesn't just end there, especially when you share a child and your lives are overlapping. And so for me, uh, I'm also an only child. And so being an only child in a divorced system in the way that I was, was, you know, I, I did start to play small in the sense that I didn't feel like I could take up a whole lot of space. There was a lot of emotion that showed up in different ways, whether it was anger or emotional reactivity or disorganized emotion. And there was a lot of caretaking as a child, sort of observing and witnessing and watching what they were doing. You know, I think that their effort and their awareness of themselves was like the best, you know, we always think about our parents doing the best that they can do with what they know and what they have. Um, but I think for me as a, as an only child, not having really a support system in the sense of having siblings, um, or really parents who were able to really understand and experience my experience in that space, I just ran under the radar. I did everything that I possibly could to make sure that I wasn't causing any more chaos for them. So that meant doing well in school and being a great athlete and practicing my violin and (laughs) going to German school and doing all the things that I, you know, that I was supposed to be doing and I enjoyed doing. Um, But that for me was a huge part in understanding my role, (coughs) understanding my role within the family system. It was, okay, I can't take up space. I can't really have needs because there's so much that they're needing in their own experience. And that definitely came through when it came to my romantic relationships later on in life, where I was always saying everything was fine. Um, So... (coughs) Did you ever feel like you had to choose between parents? Like as the only child, were you ever put in a situation where, yeah. like even as a kid, you were forced to choose between them? Because I think so many kids sure. growing up feel that. And then like that. <laughs> and then that. My story is making you yeah, nervous. I know, okay. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Take mine. Yeah, Go take for it. it. So did you ever feel like you had to choose between one parent and another? And, and what was that like? Absolutely. Uh, some of that was implicit. Some of it was explicit. Um, there was a time where I distinctly remember being in the judge's quarters. Uh, and I, th- I think I was nine or 10, somewhere wow. around there. And I, the, I went in and the judge said, we're going to be recording this meeting. Um, and both of your parents are going to get a recording of this. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and then proceeded to ask me questions like, who do you like living with more? And, and so, you know, for me, 
obviously that question, I mean, I think anybody can feel that and anybody who's watching is like, oh, like it's so painful. <laughs> like how does that system in kid, place for yeah. a child yeah. to be and to know that your parents are going to get this? It's like, well, you know, they're both amazing. Yeah, you know, yeah. you just become this There's some pleaser. pluses and minuses. Totally. To There's just so much pleasing going on. And I became such a pleaser that everything was always okay. Both of their, both of their homes were amazing. Both of them were incredible. Everything was fine. I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. You know, there was so much volatility there. I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And again, if I bring it back into what it was like for me dating and partnering with people, it was really hard to be able to step into, you know, whatever my truth is, or if I didn't like something, I was always okay with everything, right? Like, I was totally the cool girl. Um, and to be able to say, like, I don't like this, or that bothers me, or this isn't actually okay for me, was so challenging, so hard, because I was such a pleaser. Mm. Yeah, and I feel like that's an experience that so many people have when it comes to going through and seeing divorce like that. So, Mark, maybe tell us a little bit about where you started to learn about modern dating and relationships specifically. Well, my childhood was definitely um, a different experience than Deanna's. My dad was married before my mom, so divorce was like, you know, uh, I guess implicitly communicated that you could find love after it. And I can only really remember, and this might be just rose-colored glasses, but I can only really remember being very much a romantic myself as a kid. I remember, like, my first girlfriend, I bought her a rose after a month, which there wasn't, like, Pinterest back then. So whenever, <laughs> if anyone's judging, I didn't have a, like, I couldn't Google, like, how to be romantic. It's I did the same thing. Yeah, right? <laughs> I, I did it on the first too. date. Yeah. Uh-huh. See, that's, I did it on the first date. I showed up, like, boop, and it was a white rose. Oh. Oh, shit. Yeah, shit. see, that's next <laughs> level. That's <laughs> next level. Uh-huh. At least you had some stuff. I did the same thing. It was like uh, one rose. I made my mom drive me to Safeway, and I was in grade three. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I mean, this was like great high school. Oh, okay. so I, I mean, I could go bloomer. to the movies by myself. I don't know. What were you doing in grade three? Uh-huh. It was for Valentine's Day. It was like oh, the little cards. Was like I, brought it, I brought it to school. I brought okay. it to school. I mean, did that's she accept smooth. it? Yeah. Yeah, but it, I mean, it didn't go anywhere because I was in grade three, so. It didn't go anywhere. It didn't anywhere. go anywhere. It's like, yeah, that was kind of, I don't know what I oh, thought was going to happen. I don't I think they three. talk about, like, elementary sweethearts. They yeah. stayed together since grade three forever. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, mine was. Um, back to you, Mark. Yeah, back to you, Mark. <laughs> yeah, so I didn't do that. Everyone else here apparently has better game than me. Yes, probably true. So in high school, yeah, so I just remember being very romantic, like wanting to celebrate that, wanting to create uh, a relationship. I think when I really started to pay attention to dating and like what I was doing, not even that consciously, is after I went through a big breakup. Then I was like, "Uh, what I'm doing isn't working. And I think in that mode, I sort of started to believe or think that like deep connected relationships lead lead to pain. Mm. So then I went through more of a, uh, I danced in a shorter term relationships for a little while. I see, I see. I could run for office that's, now. That's code. That's, yeah. yeah, I see. I didn't have one night stands. I did it twice because then if someone asked, like, did you have a one night stand? I'd be like, no. Mm. You were yeah. right. one night no, stand. No, I had two, two night stands all the time. Yeah, the two night stand okay. card play. I see. No, I'm just kidding. I did it. I had like hour stands. <laughs> the one, the one hour stand. So, so tell me a little bit about <laughs> tell me a little bit about what happened in the breakup that caused you to pause and reflect on how you were showing up in relationships. Like, well, at that time, I mean, I, when I went to more of like seeking attention and affection through short term relationships, that was just really a strategy. To I didn't want people to see that I was hurt and mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was doing and. You know, it's not like um, men are celebrated for seeking emotional support from other people. 
I felt safe talking to women about it. And it's not, I can't say it's my friend's fault, but I just didn't. It's not like I went to my soccer team room and was like, guys, I'm breaking up here. I'm really crushed. Yeah. You know? Because what's the, what's the message? It. Like, what was the message that you were worried about receiving going to your soccer team and saying, like, hey, I feel just freaking crushed after this breakup? Well, yeah, like, no one in my soccer locker room or, uh, you know, was saying, like, man, I'm just crushing this monogamous relationship. It's really... You guys, I'm getting deeper in love every day. Like, that's not what we're talking about. It was more like, you know, stories about conquests or... Um, so I think the fear was that they would see that I was, like, really hurt through this. And I think I just started to... I don't think I started to seek validation in, in what would be celebrated. Mm. So unconsciously, though. I didn't know... You know, I think about being in, in college and... Um, like really, again, loving my partner. But when you're like hanging out with your buddies, you're not like, this is the most deeply connected I've ever been. Hmm. Which I think now I have that conversation. You know, we have that conversation, but that certainly wasn't, that wasn't what I was doing then. Yeah, that's fair. Zeke, what about you? Where did you learn about relationships? AOL chat room. So I can remember being in fourth grade, third, fourth grade, and I used to, I, I was like one of the original trolls. <laughs> I was, I was all, I, I, my first, out of my relationship was with this chat screen, I still remember the name, it was Powder Gods 55 was the screen name who I was in a relationship with, and my name was Jacqueline. Mm. Mm. And I was a 23-year-old, blue-haired, Blue-eyed, blue blonde-haired white woman. Hmm. Interesting. And how long did that go on for? I kept trolling him for at least like two years. Interesting. How old were you? I was in fourth grade. Really? Mm -hmm. What was the appeal for you? What was the curiosity? I, I felt a weird connection, but I didn't honestly know what I was doing, if that makes sense. Like, I was... I'm in fourth grade, and I'm just like trying to figure out. I'm 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 discovering new words that I never had heard before. I'm seeing body parts, sexual position, sex that I had never seen before. Hmm. I mean, I, I it was all pictures. Everybody's sending pictures now. Of course, everything the internet's full of videos. But I mean, it was just wow. Was yeah. was I, I believe my earliest reaction, but I do generally remember that point, I was only talking to men. Mm. I wasn't talking to women. You know, I wasn't going out being like, hey, I'm Zeke in the chat room, come through. You know, I was, I was pretending to be a girl so that I could talk to guys. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. What, what do you feel like the connection was that you were looking for in that? I don't know. Mm. We'll have to talk we'll later. Have to talk <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a follow-up question oh, for him? Oh, no, we'll talk after. <laughs> yeah. Interesting, interesting. So, so how, did that, how did that end? Did you continue that on or did you... Did you no, end that definitely I, I'm no longer a troll. In fact, you know, I go on catfish and catch trolls for a living. Yeah. <laughs> no longer Jacqueline. Did right, he, exactly. did Powder Keg 50, what was his name? Powder, Powder God. God. Powder God, did he find out? No, honestly, I think... Yeah. You're the I one either, that got away. I either changed my screen name or maybe he went away. I don't remember how we exactly stopped talking, but there was no, like, bye or whatever. It was just... 
end of communication. It's like a different version, though, of like not being able to obviously show up as yourself yeah. in a mm-hmm. very distinct way, but sort of this idea of playing differently, playing small. Um, maybe my version of that was entirely different than yours, right? But like, how do I actually take up space as I am and feel comfortable and confident in that? Mm-hmm. Right? Like for me to be able to tell somebody, no, I don't like this or this doesn't land for me uh, or like I'm not okay with that is maybe for you to be able to just be Zeke. Yeah, I, think, like, I think it was really one of the honest first things of exploring homosexuality. It just, mm-hmm. I didn't know that men could be with men. Mm-hmm. At that time, I knew, you know, obviously after seeing pictures sexually, the attraction, but I didn't, it wasn't accepted in society, so to speak. And I guess that was really my first way of saying, well, I can, I guess, have my cake and eat it too, in a sense, as a kid. Um, And then I just got hungry. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> then it was like, okay, it's cake time. <laughs> so what, what rules did you feel like you started to learn as you were kids when you started to date? Like when you were a teenager, what, what were sort of like the unspoken or spoken rules of, of teenage dating? I think that it was, like you used to have to call and ask permission to mm. use the phone. Like I used to, I remember having to call my, at the time, you know, asking out girls, calling their house. It was way harder. Yeah, like it was. People, kids, you, you know, they are kids You wouldn't today. be terrified even to ask the girlfriends. You had to get past the roadblock, mm-hmm. which was, hey, Miss Silverman, is <laughs> so-and-so <laughs> home? <laughs> now you can, like, directly text the person. I have I a question so about French homework. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're right. a reason. Right, right, yeah. Math. I always needed help with math. Mm-hmm. That was my, like, oh, in. So right? I think thinking about it, it's like, why were we so afraid? Yeah. Did anybody ever say, no, and talk? <laughs> no, but dads no. and moms were scary then. I mean, they're probably super scary still now. Mm. But now you can, like, directly communicate with the person. That mm-hmm. cuts it. You don't have to, like, go through dad and mom. That's way different. But that filter, though, it's still taking away that filter to me is doing more harm than good. You know, you're not... You're not getting that respect factor. I mean, my mom even said the other day that she would remembered when kids would just walk in and, you know, they'd shake the hand, they'd say hi, they whatever. Now kids just walk into the house. You don't even know if they're there. Like, oh, Johnny's here. When did you get here? Who are you? Who are you, Johnny? Where'd you come from? Um, I, believe, I know a lot of parents who are having that issue. Like, how do I know who my kids are hanging out with? How do I know where my kids are going? I remember when I got my first car and I was able on my cell phone to talk to my friends. My mom didn't know where I was going. Yeah, fair enough. You know, like just driving around. What did you, what do you feel like you guys learned from your parents about dating? Like what were some of the rules that they tried to enforce when you started to date? Respect, for sure. Yeah? Like being considerate of the other person. I remember when I started dating after that breakup and I started to like, because I'd only been in two relationships very long, like one two year and one one and a half year. And I remember I'd like introduced my mom to three girls in like three months. And she stopped me and she's like, I, I raised you to have more respect than this. And I was like, I just introduced you to three people. You don't even know what's going on. <laughs> like, relax. Moms know. Yeah. Moms just like always know. Yeah. And I remember, I'll, I'll never forget that because I was like, whoa, okay. Again, See, hurting I, though, so didn't I know. had a similar experience with my mom about that. But this is later on in life. When I was in- introducing her to different guys I was dating or talking to, and I basically felt like I was getting accused of being a whore. And I'm like, no, these are important people in my life. 
just as you're an important person in my life, and I want you to meet them. To me, people forget that. You know, it's all so much who you having sex with, who you fucking, who you whatever. No, it's like, you're important. You're important. Let's talk about things. Let's whatever. We're not going to sit there and talk about sex, are we? You know, but we're going to have a meal together, get to know each other. I think a lot of, like, my mom grew up in Ireland with, like, nuns teaching her at school, you know? So, <laughs> the so rules, like, of, the like, rules of nuns. Sex was never even discussed, you <clears throat> know? So, yeah, exactly, yeah. which we know that works great. No, it doesn't, you know? I mean, it works great. If you're not doing it, you're not going to have a baby, but uh, the math there. But it doesn't actually work. To Nature finds right. a way. It finds yeah, yeah. a way. Jeff Goldblum <laughs> is in the room with us. Uh, well, I think it's... What's interesting about that is if you don't teach about it, then people keep shame where that is, as opposed to like having an open dialogue that teaches sexual empowerment rather than fear of the conversation. As soon as you say that something's bad, like desire's bad, and you're a human being, you're going to equate what is natural for you, that you're going to have shame. You're going to feel like something's wrong with you, mm. which is, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just that if you're not taught how to be empowered with it and how to make good choices, it's going to slip out. You're going to hide in the halls of Craigslist, yeah. you know, versus like being outward and authentic, which again, it's not always safe to be outward and authentic about your desires, which is again, sort of goes back to the rules that we've agreed upon that are in a lot of ways, bullshit. Yeah. I find the people who are most outwardly outspoken about principles and values are usually the ones hiding everything. You know, it always comes out later, and we're all like, I knew it. <laughs> I knew like, it. I saw you. I saw you from yeah. the beginning. Yeah. I think some so of the rules for, for me in high school, for my dad was much more structure and order. It was a lot about, like, when I needed to be home and my phone use, right? Like, it was much more about the structure and order. And then my mom was much more around sort of shutting down the body, mm. right? It was, that mm. was... There was the abstinence conversation, um, but then the messaging was kind of silent and it was just there that like you are to respect yourself. I mean, it was interesting because you said your parents said like respect the person. Um, I don't remember really getting many messages about how to show up in the relationship. Did, did you ever get the sex talk? Like what was the birds and the bees talk? <sighs> Mm, I can't really remember if there was a distinct, <laughs> yeah, like I don't remember if there was a distinct time. I don't recall being sat down. I think like I grew up um, in the church. Um, and so I certainly got messages along the way. So they were there constantly. Um, yeah. I mean, like, don't, don't let people touch you. Yeah. Like that. I do remember that. Um, but I don't really remember the birds and the bees. Like, this is how you have sex. And, what about well, you? Because I wasn't allowed to. Yeah, they didn't teach book. that either. What's yeah. that? I checked out a book. Um, that your parents got you? No. Third grade library. Um, I entered in the little search computer sex. And at first, I was doing it kind of as like joking, like joking around. But the librarian actually grabbed me and she said, um, I believe you're mature enough to handle this. Mm. She took me back to the section. I'm in third grade. She took me back to the section Hold where on. the books actually were, and she gave me one. And Hidden in the back. Yeah. Blew the dust yeah. off. <laughs> <laughs> and she gave me one, and I read about it and had a discussion with my parents, a minor discussion. Did you bring it up? Very minor. Well, they saw the book. Ah, okay. <laughs> and... 
then actually in fourth grade we had sex ed, which is horrible. <laughs> and did you get the condom on the banana? That, so. We did not get the condom on the banana. Oh, that would come in sex ed freshman year of high school. It was like it's like we we evolved. <laughs> I see. Like, I had to learn how to use a condom from Degrassi. Not the original. From Drake? Not the Drake you version. The original. The I'm old. From Drake? No, no. The before, there was an original one before Drake's. Was it good? No. <laughs> no, it was it wasn't not. good at all. But we all watched it because, you know, it's Canadian programming. You didn't have a choice. Yeah, it wasn't much options. But I did, I mean, to benefit. I mean, like, I did learn how to use condom from the scene with Joey Jeremiah in the back of the yellow <laughs> Camaro with Camille, I think her name was. Oh, I remember gosh. learning from... Carol Zabore, uh, not to put two condoms on. I just uh, numbs she, it out. She spoke to the class and said, listen, like what? you might think that you're going to get more protection this way. Don't do it. You're going to get less protection. So that was, a, that was a condom on the banana, tried to put two on. If you're really worried about putting, like, if you have to put two on, you have to be concerned. Yeah, it's probably, like, a good sign. (laughs) I should put three on. They need a sex ed for gays because Mm -hmm. that shit didn't help me at all. (laughs) I remember the first time I tried to have sex, I bought the wrong lube, and it shit was just sticky everywhere. I bought vaginal lube. You don't use vaginal lube for anal sex. Everybody out there, don't Don't do it. This is the opportunity to educate This is is like sex ed. We've gone from modern dating just into sex ed. (laughs) What do you feel like the rules were? Do you feel like the rules were different in the gay community, like growing up, like when you started to enter into that space than they were in the, in the straight community? Well, definitely different only because when you first, generally when you first enter into the gay community, so to speak, you're entering into a scene mm. of, you know, art and fun and party and alcohol and just everything which just looks like, oh, this is amazing, whatever. But you really have no idea what's going on as a child. Like, what, what is going on? I remember being in my first gay bar at 19, and I'm like, okay, so, like, you guys are just happy and your lives are perfect, and this is how it is. No, that's not how it yeah. is. Um, there's a lot of negativity around, you know, being gay, and there was homophobia, massive homophobia back then. Well, there still is today, so I don't know what I'm really talking about. But... Definitely, you know, I I had to explore things differently. And I felt, feel that, you know, when you grow up and you kind of start learning that you have strikes against you. Like I was growing up, I, I'm black, so okay, strike. I'm gay, strike. I'm good looking, kind of a strike. Sometimes it works for you, sometimes it works it's like my, my chalkboard is adding up here. It's like What's you just, happening? You keep on just adding things that work for you, that don't work for you, that people perceive you in lenders and make opinions on you based yeah. on perceived biases and thoughts. But then you're still processing those things and have no idea what those things are as a child. Like, no idea. I don't know what I liked. I don't know what I was into. When people would ask me, what are you into? What do you like? What's your type? I don't know. What's my type? Like a cheeseburger with fries? Like what? Are, that's what I like. I know that. I know that for sure. But everything else, I'm trying to figure out. Yeah, I feel. I feel like all of us go through a little bit of a phase of that. Like I remember in high school, in junior high, where I was like, I don't know what any of this is supposed to look like. I don't know. Like I got 
how I got introduced to sex was through an anatomy book. Like my parents actually bought me a human anatomy book and there was a chapter about sex, but it was like... Those the, drawings are never oh, right. it, was, it was horrible. Yeah. You know, it's like you kind of like see like the half body, right? And you <laughs> yeah. see like the, the, like the muscles of the <laughs> penis and stuff like that. And you're like, I don't know how much I'm actually learning about sex with this. Yeah. Uh, the drawing you... when they're in, when it's in, in the heteronormative, or you know, where it's like the penis is in the yeah. the, the diagram vagina. Yeah, the diagram yeah, vagina. Not... Where did you learn? Did your parents talk to you? Well, I certainly didn't learn in Catholic school, that's for sure. <laughs> that was in the absence of education. Um, but my dad would, it, and my, my mom not as much because she was still undoing her Catholic programming. But my dad was for sure transparent and open about sex and sexuality. So he would ask us a lot of questions about it. He would make jokes about it. Like, it was a very open dialogue. I was pretty blessed. Um, but I do remember the first Birds and the Beast conversation. It was my mom and my dad. My dad was laughing as it was happening because he's just watching the ship go down. As my mom's like, sometimes when two people are intimate, things can get carried away. You can get excited. And I was like, oh, I'm not having sex. Like, let's just close this <laughs> subject. Um, but I think that was interesting because, like, uh, as you were talking, I was thinking back to when my sister, who's from my dad's first marriage, she's hilarious, and she was very, she's nine years older than me. She's very outspoken. She was on, like, a sex show when I was in college that all my friends loved watching when she was talking <laughs> about double-clicking the mouse on a television show, and my friends were like, this is amazing. Like, this is horrible. I don't, um, know if, I don't know if everybody knows what double-click in the mouse is, but we'll probably just leave it at that. They can, yeah, they can just go imagine Google it. what it's about. They can just go Google double-click in the mouse. <laughs> yeah, and she, I remember she said to me I when I was like... I supposed to sound nasty. No, it's good, just, you know, giving the old flick in the bean. Flick in the bean. Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. okay, got it, so got she, it. She, she just said to me, I remember she said to me, she was like, you need to learn how to go down on a woman. Hmm. When I was like 13, 14... <laughs> Which this I'm is sure. What to, mom said? No, my sister. Oh, um, just, I was like, Mom, like, okay. My yeah. mom did not say that. If she's watching this, she'll be like, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but my sister did, and I remember that being in conflict because I there was no education in my school about it. They would bring they brought in like a couple that got pregnant when we were young. Uh, when we were when they were young and basically said, like, don't become like this couple. And I that's where I really felt like my heart was at odds with the the education I was getting. Yeah, sex ed is really taught to prevent pregnancy. It's like prevent yeah. teen pregnancy. That's yeah. really, but it, sex ed isn't really taught to how do you pleasure yourself, how do you pleasure your partner, how do you even avoid an assault, how do you talk about consent. It's not that conversation. It's really pretty much avoid pregnancy. When it comes to questioning the rules about this, so like we, we think about, okay, parents sitting us down or teachers sitting us down or sex education, and we're, we're going off of the story that these people can actually talk about sex. <laughs> yeah, that they know. Right? I think that that's part of questioning the rules, right? That's what this whole segment is about, is like, all right, so at a certain point, there's people either, okay, in the heterosexual space, we got a little more of a like textbook to show you what it looked like, um, but then you have parents telling you, and we're not... We, you know, when we're kids, we're like, oh, the adults know, right? Like, the adults know. The adults have the information, right? This is, this is the information. And now when we work with adults, we work with, you know, I work with couples. Um, 
And I, I see the breakdown in conversation around sex. We have such a hard time communicating in general and put sex into the mix, and we have a really hard time oh, talking yeah. about it. And so if we're not questioning the rules around even people that we see as experts, right, people who are teaching us about this, and not questioning the lens through which they look. And there, I mean, there's so much that comes to sex. Like, is there unintegrated trauma that mm. this person is then telling me what I should do with my body or how I should do something with that other person's body, right? Like, we, there's so many layers to it. Yeah. The wounds, the shame, the trauma, that's all unintegrated. And so if we're not questioning who's telling us and why they're telling us and how they're telling us, and then we're building out a narrative about sex and dating and all of those pieces that were that might be flawed. And it certainly might not be for us, because if I may continue, <laughs> I'm on a little roll here. Um, like what is important and aligned for those people is obviously so different for each person's individual experience. Right? And so if we have these experts, whether it's parents or teachers or books, um, and yet we're not challenging it at different stages of our lives, then we're signing ourselves up for their story. Mm. Right? One, it's not safe to challenge it generally. <laughs> Right? We don't like know to how to ask questions. There's no curiosity. To, you're not allowed to ask questions. No. And that is that is truly the mystery of the world. Ask whatever you want. Please be whatever. Mm. But if you ask that question. Yeah. But when you do, I'll embarrass you and I'll shame you. Yeah. And I'll make then you we wrong go from there. Uh, right? yeah. But you're giggles. open to ask whatever questions you <laughs> And the you giggles want. will come yeah. and the whatever. Yeah. And well, I, That's what's fascinating about relationships and dating is literally you should be dating and being in a relationship to explore, to be curious, to figure out what you want, what you don't want. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something sort of innate that, in a, a sort of a, an unconscious narrative that when you're 25, you're just supposed to figure it out. Mm. Like you're just supposed to know. And so many people from, like if, as you were saying, V, if people haven't even discovered their own relationship story, where they come from, and then they're teaching these stories, these mm-hmm. thoughts, these processes from a very myopic lens, you know? Likely, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and not to say for everything, but there's such a deconstruction of relationship, what's, what's open now, what's tolerable, what's gender, what's sexuality. Like, these conversations weren't happening. They're still struggling to happen, but they weren't happening 10 years ago. They weren't yeah. happening 20 yeah, years ago. I mean, you the, know, they were happening in secret, yeah. which, again, if you have to put it in secret, then you're going to feel shame. Yeah, which still baffles me today how, you know, the pornography industry is a $57 billion industry, but nobody watches porn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's, what, I'm sorry, what? Right. Porn? What is yeah, it? No, no, porn? Yeah, yeah. porn? Yeah. That's, a whole, that's a whole different topic. I'm blessed that that didn't exist when I was a kid. Like, you had and to I'm dial cursed. up for porn. Yeah. You had yeah. to dial up for porn. You I, had to spend, like, four minutes. AOL signal. Loading, loading line by line. Yeah, but you probably had faster internet. I had to wait for the body yeah. Did you get logged off? I, I had that. All right, all right. You had the dial-up? Okay, all right. But then we did get cable and DSL, and we were cute. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's so let's shift into let's shift into some of your dating lives. All right, so so you you learn these things, you hear about these kind of rules growing up, you uh, learn from parents, learn from sex ed loosely, and then there you are. You're out in the wilderness of dating. The wilderness of dating. What what surprised you when you started to go into the dating world? Maybe we'll do like post high school. What was challenging when you started to enter into the dating world? I think my biggest challenge was pressure. Mm. I dated a playmate. Mm. I was always trying to date up, date the hottest, date 
the best, ate the smartest, ate, it was always like, I, I have to now, you know, basically continue a legacy and so to speak, you know, yes, my dad being this hall of fame basketball player and having a beautiful wife and beautiful house, it was like, it was like perfect, whatever, which nothing was perfect, but <laughs> from the outside looking in, definitely perfection. And I definitely wanted to create that. Yeah. Um, so then when I finally stopped saying, okay, stop dating girls, Joshua. Yes, they're fun to play with sometimes, but we love a good man, let's be honest. <laughs> so when I finally started doing that, it was like, okay, now I need to realize not everybody likes me. Not everybody's into me. Not everybody responds well to me, whether that's personality or just, you know, looks. Or structure. It, that to me was the hardest thing to know, to know that, I want you, but you don't give a shit about me. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. What about you? I think it was that uh, I wanted the appearance that I knew what I was doing, but I had really no idea what I was doing. Like in terms of, uh, like I think of, I know you said post high school. Yeah. At that point, I was in a totally different meltdown. But I would say the dating, <laughs> the dating meltdown came when like everybody else was dating and I still hadn't, and so I felt like I needed to get involved in this thing, this movement. Was it dating or having sex? Not having sex, just dating. I hadn't even got. I think I'd like kissed one girl in grade nine. I think I, my first French kiss was like in grade eleven. So I was like a delayed. Well, at least what appeared. Maybe everyone was talking big shit, yeah. and I just I was like, is it just me? Is everyone kissing each other? And I'm. Well, I felt, I felt like there was, like, pride around that, right? Like, being, like, one of the first guys to, like, start dating in my school. And then, like, there was, there was, there was like, pride around that, you know? And yeah. so, like, to your point around performance, it was, like, a lot of, like, my val validation and my identity started to come from this. It's like, oh, I am shit at academics because I was a horrible student because I had, like, ADD and couldn't pay attention. I was an average sports player, but I had gotten really good with women. And so that all of a sudden became this like big pillar of my identity. So I don't know if that resonates with you, but yeah, I mean that became like when I was young, I was kind of chubby from like grade five to grade eight, and then I lost a ton of weight, not in a healthy way, basically starvation and exercising in that summer. And when I got back to school, girls were curious about me, but I was the same person as I was before that happened. And so I felt like all of a sudden I was getting some sort of reward for an external validation mm -hmm. rather than, but I've, I, was, I was in a way sort of like, I'm the same person, but you didn't care about me two months ago. Yeah. The only thing that changed is I lost weight. And so then it gave me body image issues that I, I think are just like a cyclical part of just understanding who I am and, and what matters to me. But for sure my validation started to then be, after I got heartbroken, about like, well, Mark's still getting girls, so he must be okay. What happened in the heartbreak? Um, well, I was lucky enough to, uh, <laughs> to have, when I say lucky enough, I almost have to tell the whole story, but I'm not going to. Um, Why? I, well, I had a girlfriend <laughs> who went away to school in the States for a soccer scholarship. And uh, we agreed that we could see other people, which already, let me tell you, I didn't want to. So I'm already now a doormat. Like, I, I, I have to private. We already know this isn't going anywhere good because I've already <laughs> agreed to something I shouldn't have agreed to. I made being in a relationship and keeping it more important than honoring myself. Had I just said, hey, this, that actually doesn't work, good luck with everything. But I, I like to learn through pain. So 
<laughs> um, she came back to Canada with uh, her friend and then another uh, guy who was uh, the running back from the football team, a good friend of hers. And we American football. Yeah, American football. Yeah. And oh yeah. And he um, oh, God. he also kind of looked like Adonis. <laughs> so this was really great. I, I'm already picturing it. Uh-huh. So he, it, just for the Americans, Canadian Thanksgiving is the same as US Thanksgiving. It's just a month month earlier. We eat turkey and ham. There's nothing really that exciting about it. Um and so he wants to experience Canadian Thanksgiving. So he comes back. I'm sitting at Thanksgiving dinner. With your family or hers? With her family. Okay. And, he's, and he's at the dinner. And I'm like, I remember being like, there's something going on here. So it's just me, her, him, and her parents. And I'm like, so, so there, I feel like there's like <laughs> three. You get here. <laughs> right, right. You get here when you don't have boundaries, when you're a nice yeah, guy. Yeah. When you're a doormat is yeah. a better term. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, so there's like three possible ways I could have handled this. One is I'm like, hey, Real respectfully, I got to go. Thanks for the food, mom and dad. I don't like you anymore. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> but I, or I could have done it respectfully. Or I could have been like, yeah, you know, throw the table. But instead, I was like, I'll just keep eating. No, <laughs> just no. a glutton for punishment, right? I probably like, got seconds. Probably thought gravy would fix it. That's like a movie Doesn't. scene, you know, like watching that character just like sitting there eating Thanksgiving dinner with with his former girlfriend and the guy that, he knows she's sleeping with. Yeah, it's a sad story. Yeah. There's no doubt. Very wedding. Yeah, practice. and so I, um, I, I, the, it's sort of the only real visceral memory I have of that, other than that painful meal, mm. is uh, my vision is blurry and I'm, I'm like crying, and I'm saying to her at the door by myself with her, like, is this? Sort of, I think I said something like, "Is this how I find out?" Mm. Or like, "Is this how you tell me?" And that was when things really transitioned for me. Is I really started to, I felt so betrayed, and I didn't trust myself anymore. Um, I didn't really put together the pieces till far later, but it, it sort of changed the story of when I love people, they betray me, they mm. hurt me, they lie to me. And, and being so committed to relationship, I was really wanting to build something, you know, like my parents had, I suppose, was like the ideal that I'd created. Yeah. I abandoned that. I, and I didn't know I did, you know? Yeah. Like I started to drink more. I, I, and again, like appear as if I'm fine, but inside I was devastated. Yeah. I was, I was on the other side of that. I was, I was the guy that was like on the infidelity. You were at dinner with the boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, uh, (laughs) yeah, I was the other, I was the other guy. I was the guy that learned the lessons through constant infidelities in, in my relationship. The one not being cheated on, but the one doing the doing the infidelity consistently, and I again I just like looked back and realized like how much of my self worth had come from from relationships, from women, from sex specifically, and it just like led down the rabbit hole where you know I end up as you know like sleeping out of the back of my car for like three weeks and just being in this space of complete isolation because I felt so much shame around not being able to control myself and like hurting people that I loved and, and cared about. And so it's, it's just so interesting how there's, there's like, there's always a different story on the other side. Yeah. And I, I mean, you know, I look at, you know, cause people would be like, I can't believe she did that. Yeah. You don't get to that dinner if you have good boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> nobody gets to that right, table. That table, <laughs> they're having a great dinner with her parents and yeah. I'm chilling somewhere else, maybe sad, but maybe not. 
But when you put the need to be in a relationship more important than to be connected to yourself, then that's where you end up. And I can look back and and have compassion for even him, you know, and her. Like, I have no hate or, or anger towards it. I think what I have is a lot of sadness to the version of me I left there. Mm. The part who like loved unrelenting, but hadn't been taught boundaries. Yeah. You know, so I was like such a, um, I was such an unboundaried lover. Yeah. But I needed also that balance of my masculine, of like someone who's actually going to protect <laughs> and curate the people who get access to my heart. Yeah. Let's uh, shift a little bit. I want to talk about some of the stuff that's going on in modern dating today. Um, one of the one of the things is there seems to be a lot of complaints around modern dating. So people as, complained in the 1800s for sure. Too, I, for know? sure, it was just it was just different. There's a lot more clothes on uh, while they did that. So <laughs> as a as a couples like a, as a marriage and family therapist, what are some of the most common complaints that you hear around dating and relationships? Yeah, I mean, I, I do work with a lot of people who are single in New York City, and mm-hmm. um, a lot of the stories around it are. That, you know, like, especially through the apps, let's say, right, where it's like, you know, you you obviously have the paradox of choice there. Um, And so people are going on tons of first dates, but rarely getting to second dates. And I think at least what I hear from clients, and I mean, it's, it is men and women, it's that like, why can't I get a second date? And where does everybody go? And we think that everything went fine on this first date, but then, you know, eventually somebody ghosts or or somebody says something that's absolutely ridiculous or it crosses a line, um, whether it's, you know, maybe sending a dick pic immediately. I you know, knew where it's that like, was where it was going. But, like, you know, I think it's there's certain things. Send a puppy things, pic um, always over a dick pic. You'll get <laughs> you way like better results. Some type of pee pic, right? Yeah, yeah but, I, I mean, I think, like, there's certain things that um, do cross a certain boundary for some, maybe not for others. Um, but I would say that the commentary that I hear most of the time is just, like, they're like, where are the sort of evolved people who actually want to have a relationship? Um, I get that actually a lot from the gay community, right? That there's a lot of promiscuity and that there are plenty of people who actually really want a relationship. And they will say, like, I, I can't find somebody who actually wants to partner, truly partner and have like long lasting love and commitment and whatever that looks like for them. But that is a complaint that I hear from so many people. And, you know, maybe sort of the tagline of where are all the good men? Mm. Um, And, okay, like if I'm doing this work in therapy, which my clients are amazing and they're doing such beautiful work and they're evolving their lives and they're getting into integrity and they're setting great boundaries, but when they're doing it, they're losing. Mm. They're losing their pool, right? The pool becomes smaller. There are fewer people in that pool who are going to level up in that space. And so they're not getting the second date or they're, or they're not even wanting to go out again with this person. And so it just feels like there's this empty pool that they yeah. can't find people who actually want to level up in the way that they are. Where, where do you guys think that that saying comes from? Where have all the good men gone? Because like, uh, over the last few years, I've heard that so many times. And I think I mean, it's a wartime saying. Yeah, yeah, please. And maybe, you know, love truly is a battlefield. Mm. So, <laughs> it, well done. Well done. Well done. Yeah. Yeah, fold that one in. Yeah, that's, but it yeah. Is, I think it is a war saying. I'm pretty sure it is. Um, that they all went off to war and we don't have good men at home. Mm. Um, now I think... Uh, People think that the good men um, are taken, are, are partnered already. Uh, where are other 
men who are doing the work, who can stand shoulder to shoulder, who can show up in a relationship, who can communicate, have the conversation, set the boundaries, be grounded in their stuff. Um, and I think the answer for a lot of people, at least in the dating scene here, has been I, I'm not finding those people. I think that a lot of people in the dating scene, especially the first date, you got to give the second date a chance. I would agree. You know what I mean? It's it's if you don't have that spark, if you don't have the whatever, you you generally met this person for an hour, two hours, maybe three. If you know you saw a long movie, I don't know. Don't go on extra coffee and extra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, mo- the movie yeah. first date yeah. where you don't talk the entire time and shake yes. hands and then whatever. That has a whole different. Per- <laughs> but intention. it's you. You have to give. You have to get a chance to know somebody. You have to be in a situation yeah. where you can know somebody. I, I get you. the same conversations mm-hmm. from a lot of gay men who are like. You know, yeah, everybody was promiscuous, wants to be in an open relationship and wants this. Mm-hmm. And it's generally my belief that everybody wants to be loved. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, Nobody on earth wants to not be loved. Whether, you know, love is this scale, mm-hmm. that scale, they want somebody who they can look at and say, I got yeah, you. But they don't want to stop <laughs> believing the story that they tell themselves that they're not worthy and deserving of love. Right. right? Like up here, conceptually, I want love. I want partnership. I want connection. I want to feel that. But I'm not going to unpack the belief system that I have that blocks that. Mm. Right? And that part is, I think, where so many people do wind up getting blocked. Um, so yeah. I think of like, because when I think of, it doesn't matter what city I'm in, everybody has the same story of like, it's so hard to date in insert city they live in, <laughs> yeah. you know, and yeah. and that doesn't change. I think New Yorkers are often more outspoken about it, even though there's uh, nine million people. Yeah, there. like you don't even have to be you don't even have nine. to be good at math. You can be bad at math and still come out with like a fairly high number. And that's where I think we need to get more clear on what we're looking for. Are we choosing towards what we're looking for? I do agree that we do need to give people a second date, a second chance, more time, mm-hmm. and. At the same time, a lot of people are over-entertaining people that they shouldn't. You know, a real good way of seeing that people are dating with different skill sets is that not, you know, one person doesn't get, like, the pool of eligible people on Tinder, and the other one gets the pool of, like, you know, ghosting people and, you know, quote-unquote douchebags or whatever it is, is, is that the... Some people end up in relationships with the same types of people all the time, mm. and others don't. Mark, so that shows you. It's the algorithm. It's the algorithm, yeah. right? They keep Wait, dropping y'all, these. Y'all know these algorithms. <laughs> <laughs> how do I get in on these algorithms? Well, I think, I mean, I think it's an interesting point, like how, because you're, what you're kind of talking about is like the dating app culture, right? And like how. Well, even a coffee shop is yeah. like, you meet this person in a coffee shop, why do you get to six months from now where there were so many red flags, just like you could look at someone's dating profile and tell with a pretty high level of accuracy their value system. You could do that with Facebook, Instagram. I don't know if you can tell their value system. And that's my know. problem is people judge people based on this little 15-second window of their best moments. But people do you know that. What I mean? Nobody, nobody's going on Instagram like, <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Instagram like, yeah, you like know, they have all those filters. Out, all filters. They have apps that add apps now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but it, that does tell you something about that individual, like the amount of time exactly. and effort that they put in. Even the amount of it. selfies. You know, like yeah, these are all decision heuristics, like things we use as shortcuts in order to make. Everybody is judgmental. Like when they said that dating apps mean that we're superficial now. 
We've been superficial forever. They just <laughs> exaggerate our superficiality. Like when you're walking down the street, you're swiping left and right to people in Absolutely. your brain. Yeah, but you're our, like hot, but our not most hot. important dating heuristic is our intuition. Right, like we're looking at all of these pieces, these judgments that we're making, whether whether they're aligned or whether they're far off, because I think it could probably go both ways with yeah. different situations. But one of the things that I think people struggle with the most, whether it's because I know you would say it needs to be a, a hell yes um, on date one. That, you know, that, I know six you years would say down that. the road when a baby shits on you. <laughs> Nothing's a hell yes in that moment. I think my point. Well. <laughs> I think my point Your though is, is that we, so many of us, struggle with our relationship with our intuition. Yeah. And because we have abandoned ourselves and our gut over and over and over again, and because people along the way have negated experiences that we've had, whether it's observing something growing up and having your parent tell you, no, 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 that's not what your father is doing or something like that. You know, like we yeah, have so many experiences where people are stri- like stripping away at our intuition. And so we get to a point in our lives where we want to start dating and we want to base it off of like, what do I actually feel here? Right? Because mm-hmm. when people actually feel aligned, what do they talk about? The sensation that's in here. Right? And so when we have stripped down our intuition over and over and over again, it's really hard to know whether it's a yes or a no. It's really hard to know what the motivation is behind the yes and behind the no. Am I doing this because I think that you're just like everybody else? Am I doing this because I want another free meal? Am I doing this because I'd rather be with someone, anybody, other rather than being at home alone by myself? By myself? Yeah. You know, and so some of the work that I do is really trying to get people to reconnect to their intuition by going into all of the places, all of the moments, the ones that stand out to them, where they abandoned it, where they stepped away from themselves. And when they start to see that, then they have a chance at repairing that. And so when we think about like, how can I start actually choosing from a place of full knowingness, right, where it's behind me, whether it's a full knowingness that I do want to give this person another chance, even though the fireworks weren't necessarily going uh, on day one. You know, like that I think is so important to know that distinction and to find a way back into the gut and into our intuition. Does every date have to be romantic? You know what I mean? Can't uh-huh. like I feel like if if the fireworks didn't happen, but there's clearly a moment something. Yeah. Why do we always just Yeah. Right, cuz I think sometimes it's humor. Like I'll have people say like you know, it was it was okay, but the person was really funny and witty, and it probably doesn't go in the category of romance. But I really liked that wit, and I think I want to explore it more. And listen, there are people who struggle with social anxiety. People, there are like are many things that can sometimes block it in the beginning, and those people have <laughs> deserve a chance at being seen and getting to be known. Um, you know, so I'm with you that like if there there can be something that you connect to that feels like that pull that cord in to uh, like getting to know that person a little bit more. But I do think uh, I do think that like the dating app culture has made it a little bit more challenging to trust that intuition, right? Because you're like, as you're saying, we have these decision heuristics. Sure. Like we're looking at a really like brief glimpse of yeah. someone, well, and so you know, dating apps have undeniably created a different set of of challenges. So. In, sure. Ghosting in, specifically. Ghosting. Right? So I think because what people will usually say about ghosting, no one talks about ghosting if you didn't like the person. Yeah. Right? Like, if you didn't have a thing with the person, no one calls it ghosting. 
at all, right? So <laughs> ghosting happens when you actually thought and felt and received feedback and data, right? Like from that other person that we were getting on, right? Like that's some, we liked each other, something was moving, we were going to go on another date. And then all of a sudden that person just falls off of the face of the earth They put a date on the calendar maybe. And then you never hear from that person the three days leading up to it, yeah. right? And so, yeah, and that can happen after like six months for people. Totally. Yeah. And so when you think about going back to the conversation about intuition, it's like, well, the intuition was also supported by you communicating to me that you wanted to do this, yeah. by you giving me data points and evidence that you were feeling what I was feeling and that you were into it with me, right? And so when you think about what happens to our intuition in that space and why it's so confusing to people, this goes for anybody who experiences it. Like it's That's why ghosting is so problematic, is that it's a constant recurring tear at intuition over and over and over again. Is Maybe it's a challenge to it too, though, because I think of like, what is chemistry? Well, chemistry sometimes, if, you, if we think chemistry and gut feeling is drawing us to people who are unhealthy for us, then we know on some level our chemistry is disrupted and we're probably coding chaos as chemistry, That's right. which could come from our childhood, could come from a number of places. So I think if, if what we're following is what we mistake chemistry for intuition, mm-hmm. right? Like, like this desire to want to be around chaos. And we might even look at someone's dating profile right. that looks calm and, and then we code it as boring. Yeah. Even oh, though I, we could I have love 100% us. looked at people's dating profiles or talked to people and been like, I'm not ready for you mm. because mm. I'm still in my wild right. phase. I yeah. want to do whatever. <laughs> You're like an executive mm-hmm. and got an apartment. You want to settle down. And you, and da, 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 da. But maybe they didn't. Maybe they don't. Mm-hmm. But I perceived mm-hmm. immediately, I can't do that. Well, that's why I think it's so important that we look at what are our biological responses versus what we actually want to create. And those, what you were saying before, like what story we have in our mind about the dating world and our own lovability and what we're worthy of. But literally, like you will not be attracted to emotionally unavailable people if you're not on some level emotionally unavailable yourself. It is not sexy (laughs) to people who are emotionally available when someone should. And I, I, like the ghosting part, I would imagine, and this might sound insensitive, but for the sake of taking a grenade, I'm going to say it, which is, I bet you there are so many red flags before the ghost most of the time. Not all the time, because there's some really good actors, or I think that's a a universal term. Yeah. I don't know. When I get four straight pictures of your torso and then probably your ass, let's just be honest, and then all of a sudden you ghost, I feel away. And I didn't do anything about that. But I, I'm not but I would talking say even about like, your specific ass. I'm just saying, you know, four pictures sent. What's up? But does four pictures sent say like, oh, it's we're gonna be a thing? If, no, you, if somebody sends you a picture of their ass, you better hope that something's gonna happen. You no, it's usually done in a different time of year. It's by well, well, it Are you one of those people who like airdrops people's iPhones randomly? <laughs> <laughs> he's just he's the guy that like sits in the Starbucks. But I think that the distinction it like in that in your community, right? Like what does that mean? Right, like what is the message? What's the story that most people believe if they get four, four torso photos? And, and, and yeah, if you, get, if you get the pick, you generally believe, A, yeah. you're sexually into me, yeah. we can yeah. have sex. Now, whether that actually happens mm-hmm. is completely different, but we should be able to have that conversation right. about taking to the next level. So, But if you don't even get that chance. But yeah. if you got ghosted by somebody <laughs> who's just seeking sex, or you know, that would be the message I would imagine they're sending through. Too. 
Yeah. I get that, but it's, it's not. Re- it's that's not. Re- but that's not unexpected. That's right. It's not unexpected. Like not dismissing that it's still rejection, but it's not unexpected that someone who's seeking just sex ghosts you. That's the whole. They're not. They're not like, hey, let me just caretake your heart. It's true. There's a whole reason but they're at the being pleading. I still come from the say. I still come from the mindset that. Everybody isn't just seeking sex. That that might be fair. You might believe in the best in someone, which I think is beautiful. I do too. But it's it's, it's, someone is. You're saying you can't change the the, You you can change. (laughs) Anyone can change themselves. But the point is, is that someone is what they're choosing, not what they say they want to choose. They're what they're choosing. And so the evidence in the four pictures for me is like they're not seeking a relationship. They're seeking just sex. If they're just seeking sex, then. And you're disappointed that they ghosted on you. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. to me, Sometimes you could be you disappointed. If you have the asset to show it off, show it off. I mean, send it out to you know a group. I mean? Just everyone. Your, just dick, it on your dick pic better look like Jesus Christ if you're going to send it out, <laughs> which some have. Others, <laughs> they curve to the devil. So, but there, there is, but there is like what we're really talking about is that there is sort of like the uh, more dysfunctional part within online dating, right? And I think you've you've talked about this quite a bit. And you've been this open advocate around some of the dysfunction that can come from online dating and some of the challenges. And like we're talking about some things around, you know, people ghosting after they sent four photos and Yeah, we're definitely talking about very taboo issues. But I mean at the same time, you know, unfortunately, I was sexually assaulted at twenty seven from somebody who I met off of an app who presented themselves in a great light in a dating light, in a whatever, and we went on a date. Mm -hmm. And our first date, actually, we were texting for probably, you know, two weeks, three weeks, and just on the app, because I didn't give my phone number yet. And I finally invited him to actually just come to my recording studio, because I was still weary. And at my recording studio, there were seven other people there, including my cousin. And I'm like, okay. He passed that test. My cousin was like, oh, solid dude, whatever. So then second date happens, and unfortunately I was drugged and then raped at my house. And for that to happen, and I don't blame the app, but what I blame is I didn't know him. Mm -hmm. And I got that validation of I know somebody because I had talked to them online for two weeks. And then we had, again, a three-hour, two-hour interaction that made me feel somewhat secure. Yeah, that makes sense. But I wasn't. But again, I do believe that all that there are more good people than bad people in this world, and predators are out there, and they do take advantage of people, and I definitely was taken advantage of. But you have to know on social media, you don't know these people. No, And you don't know these people, like, at all. You know, at least me sitting here talking with you, you know, I got some body language. I can, you know, kind yeah, of read you and have an energy, yeah. you know. I can tell, you know, okay, I can do this and he's not going to kill me. Or, you know, I can make a joke and he's going to laugh. Online, if I send something funny, I don't know if they really thought it was funny. Well, and you think about it, too, is um, the, the one thing about all social media and all social interaction that's online is there's no negative social feedback. Like the way that people act online, they would never generally act in person because they would get punched, they would get killed, they would get, you know. But everyone's like a powerful when they're behind. Oh, yeah, screen board warrior. Yeah. The screen there's board some warrior. real outspoken. Yeah, nobody uh, just whips out their dick in the bar. 
Yeah. At least. I mean, I at least not, without, least, not, at least not before 4 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so after that experience happened, Zeke, like, what, what did you change about your dating behavior? Or did anything change? Generally, to be honest, my dating behavior did not change. Mm. What changed to me was myself. And I want to make the clear distinction because I'm still on apps. I've still dated pretty much in the same circle, except, you know, I'm, I've dated a bunch of different other people. I like to call myself, you know, the United Nations. I've dated pretty much every, <laughs> whatever. How generous of you. But what changed in me was that exactly what you were saying. I learned to more so respect myself, mm. respect, respect my space, yeah. respect my time. Um, and it's really the time part that was the big thing. Like, why am I going on these random dates or random whatever that I didn't really feel something, but I was just doing, ah, I'm bored. Let's just go grab a drink. Yeah. You know, ah, I'm bored. And even to the point of me saying, you know, I didn't really find this person that engaging. But I was new to Chicago. I didn't really know anybody. And this wasn't the kind of person I felt, you know, would fit into my general friend group. But again... I didn't know anybody, so yeah. I'm like, okay, let's see what happens. And you and should be free to be trouble. curious like that, you know, in a, in a, a world where that mm -hmm. doesn't exist. Yes, but I feel like, just like I said, with our yeah. general energy, I didn't really have that general whatever. Like, I feel like, you know, we can go grab a drink, do yeah. some bullshit, whatever. I didn't really feel that with him, but yeah. I still allowed myself to say, okay, let's tag along, see what happens. So... So I think, you know, we've talked about a few different topics in this area. And one of the big ones that I hear, especially in like the men's communities and groups and just like talking to guys and seeing the online conversations is, you know, how men are feeling post Me Too. And, you know, we definitely live in, in a, like a Me Too, I don't know how you would call that, like a dating culture now. And it seems like more and more guys are, are struggling, right? I hear a lot of you know, men can't be men anymore when it comes to dating. We have a lot more women saying things like, where are all the good men? Why won't they just come and talk to me and approach me? What are some of the challenges that, that you hear men talking about nowadays in, in the dating world? And is it the same in the gay community? For me, and I've post Me Too, Me Too to me has become a monster without a home. Like monster without a closet, just kind of roaming around now. And the reason why I say that is I went public with my disclosure on Good Morning America a year before Me Too really skyrocketed. And that was taboo. That was something that we couldn't talk about. Male on male rape. It was unconscionable. Um, and then Me Too came in December and it was very powerful, but it left out men from the conversation, even left out transgender people from the conversation. It was mainly, generally, just white women standing up saying, this happened, which was powerful. And it really morphed to me into a women's movement, because as you saw, you know, the Oscars followed that, and the Golden Globes, and the it's March. honestly become insanely powerful. But it started with just people disclosing, disclosing horrible things that happened to them. And that is my main problem with Me Too is that people feel that, okay, I said it. Okay, well, that's the first step. Now you got like a thousand more to healing, and then you have to do a thousand more just to maintain. 
And then you're going to do a thousand more when some other shit happens that reminds you of that shit that yeah. happened before. Yeah. It's like people don't realize the steps of that. So I think that Me Too misled people into saying, okay, I stood on my soapbox. Now it's over. Mm. But the problem that I'm seeing in now dating post Me Too is a lot of straight men have said to me, do you know how many times I get hit up on Tinder of girls just wanting to fuck? Like the other way around. And that was, to me was like, that's not really my world, but I'm like, for real? And then, you know, I see the pictures, I see the conversations. And that part has still not been talked about, about women wanting to have sex. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, safe sex, healthy sex, hookup sex, whatever it is, that's still something that, to me, guys were like, I didn't, I didn't realize that people talk like that, that women talk like that, that that was in the realm. For men, it's more so been, to me, around language, mm. um, around, okay, when can I talk about sex? Like, when can we have the discussion? Like, if we're going to have sex and we're going to have the discussion, how far can we talk about it? Mm. Because literally, every time you have sex, we're all just trying to figure it out. Yeah. It's, yeah. you know, it's, we're all just trying to figure out, okay, <laughs> what do you like? What do you want to do? And yes, asking is not sexy. And, you know, you want to, you know, have a flow and you want to whatever, but you should establish some boundaries beforehand. We, we should know what you like. You know, I don't just want to stick my thumb in your ass and you don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> that, you got to ask. You got to ask. You can't about the just thumb. do it's that. You. It's true. <laughs> What do you think? I think there's a lot of um, conflicting messages that are challenging. I mean, from the online conversation I've observed, having yeah. too, uh, in your community too, you know, because I, I participate in your Man Talks community on Facebook, which has tons of conversation about it, and it's a safe space to have it. Um, and so I think there's been a couple of conflicting, like online I'll see messages like, where can I just find a man who'll throw me up against a wall and take me? Yeah. Well, that's a very counter me too message which is in uh, the me too message is it you know what i mean because me too has now put you in the bubble that we can only do consensual and do whatever what's wrong with somebody saying look i just want to get banged tonight totally totally no the point i'm saying is that if you're a 12 year old kid a boy and you're heterosexual and you're seeing that message on a meme without context and then you're seeing another message about um consent which is a beautiful message but it again, oh, yeah, no, putting it, it's up. conflicting. Yeah. Who do I need to be and how do I need to show up? And so I think at least in my experience growing, I'm I'm 40 now. So I grew up in the 80s and well, 90s. You look great. Thank you, man. <laughs> Thank you. I I think the growing up in sort of the post first and second wave feminism, there was and my mom by all design a feminist. Um, but not like, you know, there was no man-hating, so quote-unquote. But there was a lot. I was afraid of being controlling or like I would become like men in the media or being, which that was in the 80s and 90s. And so I had no boundaries because I was afraid of like standing <coughs> up for myself. And it was fascinating when I needed boundaries when I was older, when I was at a Thanksgiving dinner that you only end up when you oh, don't have no. any. <laughs> right. But when I actually needed them and when I actually found that saying that's not okay the way you're being, no, that's fine. You know, that's when a woman would finally be like, oh, like, <coughs> thanks for showing up finally. Mm. You know, there was respect uh, for me because I didn't, res again, I guess coming back to the like, I didn't respect myself. You know, I didn't love myself enough to stand in my truth. So I guess the, the conflicting messages I see are 
are really those like two poles. Yeah, that seems to be one of the biggest challenges. Is that and it, and it's coming from it's coming from both men and women. You know, yeah. where you you'll hear like you're saying the the messages from some women who are like, oh, I just want to be thrown up against the wall, and, and other women who are like, oh, I don't want that at all. And then which is totally fine. And then men are men, of course. I think a lot of us were like, well, just tell us what the answer is, right? We're just like, yeah. we just want to fix it. Is there a way? Yeah, we just, just want to fix way. it. So if there's like a formula, you know, that we can sort of put this into, there's a lot of us, I see a lot of men searching for a sort of unanimous answer. And I think that that's, and even for myself, I've kind of been looking at this and there's the consent conversation, there's the me too, and it's like, how do we find a unanimous answer? And so, you there know, I think- it. And- even you know when I when I go to Congress, which is just unhelpful in general, but when you <laughs> speak, you know, to people who are going to put laws and legislation around these things, around sexual assault, around rape, around sexual harassment, you have to define it. Yeah. And that's one of the biggest problems when somebody says, Well, my experience is this. Well, your experience to me doesn't really classify you as being raped. It might even not even classify you as assault. That sounds more like harassment to me. But you can't take away my experience. That's my experience. That's what yeah. I felt. Yeah, but I can't really punish somebody based on your feelings. I can't really help you based on your feelings legislatively or in the law and criminal justice. So that's what a lot of men and a lot of people generally are struggling because now we're able to talk about these feelings, we're able to express ourselves. But when you bring it back to our government civility system, where does it fit? Mm. I don't think that there's an equation, like you're saying. Yeah. Um, I think going back to our previous conversation, we talked a little bit about how hard it is for people to communicate about sex, right? That we mm. talked about all these messages. And so most of this comes down to being able to ask for what you want, right? Like, not, like you said, there are going to be some people who want to be thrown up a wall, up against a wall, um, and then there's going to be some people who don't want that at all. And the way that we find out is whether we either ask or that person tells you directly. And sure, we can say, like, off of intuition, we should have, like, some sense, right? Like, we can read some body language, we can read some energy, but based on this movement and based on all of this coming out and people actually talking about it, it really, I think what a lot of it requires is a stronger, richer conversation, right? And that if yeah. I want this to happen, but I'm unwilling to ask for it, where does that leave me? If I want to be thrown up against the wall, but I don't want to say it, or I have shame around it, or I feel embarrassed to say this to somebody, What's that conversation? What's that work around that? Right? Like, yes, I think, you know, I think for a lot of women, it's like, guys, it's not like when people are like, oh, you know, I don't want to say that you're beautiful. You know, I don't want to. And you're like, like, that's not it. You know, and I think sometimes that pendulum swings into such an extreme where you're like, you know what's appropriate. Like, yeah. there's a lot. You know what's weird, what's awkward, what's creepy to say. Like, if you're in <laughs> you your integrity, like, if you're like, yeah. you look beautiful today, nobody's going like, to be like, fuck you. you. Like, that does not, that's not it. When your tongue is hanging out the window of a cab and you're, like, hooting and hollering, like, that doesn't feel good, right? Like, so yeah. I think that there's some things that get swung into this extreme that are like, this is, please don't even bother us with that conversation of like, can I not even like, you know, and it's like, oh, come on. You have to have a little bit of that, of that filter. And, Usually and the people it. asking that are so defensive of their like, 
Well, sure. I, I think that well, I think that's like the the there are rare there are small rare cases yeah. of that happening, right? Of a man being accused of sexual assault for touching a woman's arm and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I think, but the thing is, is that those are so minute. Yes. They're so yeah. small yes. in comparison, right? It's like the number of women that have come forward about sexual assault or be, or having been raped compared to the cases of false accusations. Sure. It's like tiny. Right, but sometimes that's it's such easy a distraction from responsibility. Yeah, sometimes it's easier to focus on yeah. on those like one-off cases. I think a lot of men will say, like, you know, I I still think though that this person wants me to be whatever this man is who can just throw you up against the wall, and that the sex appeal goes away if someone has to ask for it or communicate it. Right, like I don't know if that's been in your community at all, but I've I've certainly heard that come up in conversation before, yeah. where it's like, well, you. I mean, and you want to recreate the best porn you've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah that's yeah. that's just totally the pressure that, that a lot of men feel, right? It's like, right? Which is like uh, the wrong pivot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like trying to recreate that is, is impossible. impossible yeah. And it's also not your sexual experience, right? Going back to the lens that through which yeah. other people give us the story. Uh, from the therapist perspective and in the therapy room, what I will say is that a lot of men specifically in my office have actually brought forward to me experiences where they look back in their lives and they are thinking about when did I cross a line? You know, have I raped somebody? Have I sexually harassed somebody? Have I assaulted anybody? And having a space to be able to talk about that and then learn how to actually integrate that and what that looks like as you move forward so that the shame and the shadow isn't something that is controlling the way that you're showing up and dating and how you're showing up um, in your sexual experiences. And so, you know, I think from that perspective, it's been really nice to have those conversations. And I so appreciate the people who are coming forward and saying, this is really hard for me to say to you. I think I'm sure it's hard with a woman sitting across from them. Um, but I think I raped somebody, you know, when I was whatever age, or, you know, I think I absolutely have crossed the line multiple times and I I want to not have this in my shadow anymore and to just move that and see like how do I move through life now and do this differently. As a survivor, how do people in your sessions, like when somebody says, you know, I think I may have assaulted somebody, I think I may have raped somebody, how will they ever know without asking that person how Mm, they felt? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's a great that, question. And if that wound is opened yeah. up and it is yeah. that worst, uh, that horrible moment, mm-hmm. then what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's so many layers to it. I think for some people, it's very obvious. They actually know that they have. Um, for some who are, like you were saying, with leg- legislation, sort of knowing where does it where does it go. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because it's, is this serving you? Is it serving that other person, right? Like, mm-hmm. is it actually harmful to go back to that person and it say, is. what was your experience? And I think that's an important part of therapy is our work is never to do more harm, right, for anybody's experience. The the work is always to be doing the healing. And you have to get very clear in that space of really sitting with it to think, is it going to be valuable for this other person? So just to maybe start to wrap things up here, you know, one of the things that we touched on here really quickly was consent. And I, I think we'd be doing a disservice without sort of touching on that topic. So how, if you have, how have you talked about consent with your partners, past or present, and and how do you think that we 
should be talking about consent? What does that actually look like? Because I think, you know, we've, we've talked about these different areas and like, you know, in different communities, that consent happens differently, right? Like in the BDSM community, they literally sit down with a checklist and it's like, what are all the things yeah, that you yeah. want to experience? What's a no-go? And it, and it seems unsexy in some ways, but in other ways, it's like, that's, look. That, that's yeah. been the easiest time when I've yeah, had sex with all the people things. who have fetishes and have specific things that they like and they're very specific with them. I have tried to be that. But when I list the things that I'm into, it doesn't mean I'm into them right now, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah, you know, I've, I've, I've had promiscuous sex. I've had group sex. I've done a, a lot of things. But it doesn't mean in this moment that that's what I want. And I think that that's what people struggle with, especially online, when it comes to consent. Well, you said it last week that you were into that. Well, right now I just want to cuddle on my couch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, like, that's, a, that's a challenge, right? It's like knowing what we want in the moment. Sure. Yeah. I mean, speaking to that too, I think it would be a disservice not to name that when you are in partnership or in a marriage even. And I think a lot of times you'll hear people say, but I'm, but I'm married to you. You know, that rape happens within marriage, right? That rape happens within long-term relationships. That rape, ha- you know, like a lot of times we think about these things happening in these one-offs or uh, like, you know, that there's like some other story around it that isn't about, you know, what, where, what does consent actually look like in a marriage, right? What does that actually look like? But, but I've married you. We've already agreed to do this. You know that I like you. You know that I want that. You know, it's like, wait a second. Like, I don't, like you said, I don't want this tonight. I might have wanted it last night or last week, but I might not want it tonight. And the assumption that I do is where some of that can sometimes go wrong. And so I just wanted to highlight that here because I don't think it's just in the dating world. I think it's in relationships um, where that consent is still something that needs to be a part of the conversation. I think one of the, I mean, the research shows that, as Gottman's research shows that the response of a partner to a no is what determines whether that relationship continues to have a lot of sex. Ooh. Is do they shame them or you know make them wrong for having a no mm-hmm. versus like, oh, well, what else would you like to do tonight? Yeah. And then that partner feels safe to have the boundary. Well, to just very quickly speak to that, I think it's a lot of the unspoken energy, right? That especially in relationships. Pouting. Well, if there's a no and then it's it is met with some type of shame or let's just call it shame guilt, right? That like a lot of times then people will move into that sexual space unwantingly. Yeah, I'll do it for right? them. Well, yeah. I don't want you to be upset. I don't want you to be hurt by this or, you know, like, and so we move into that space. And I'm not saying that's not consent. I'm just saying like there is a huge conversation to be aware of a lot of the unspoken energies and feelings that get triggered and and reactive in that space. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why when we think like consent isn't sexy, Mm. it can be sexy. It's, it can be sexy if, you know, yeah. like chivalry isn't dead, you know, like yeah. that, like if the one thing you have to say is, does this feel good for you? Is this, you know, like, why wouldn't we have You can get have that? raunchy with consent, yeah. too. Like, yeah. do you want to fuck? Like, yeah. you're like, yeah, yeah. let's do it. You know? I love that the therapist is like, song? bring that up. Yeah. But I mean, like, I think yeah. it's, it is. There's this tagline around it that it's like, oh, my God, consent is unsexy. Well, let's make a movement about sexy consent. That's what I mean. Like, let's, yeah. you know, it doesn't. Why can't it be like, Mike yeah, and Molly make good, a porno. You know? Mike and Molly make a porno. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So last question. 
Last question. What would you tell yourself about modern dating? What would you tell yourself about dating in your 20s? What would you go back and try and teach yourself? I would try to teach myself. I I said this, this quote this week. I said, don't skip your hope phase because it'll come to bite you in the ass when you're married. (laughs) (laughs) Uh So that's what I would tell myself. I would tell myself, you know, when you're ready to commit, commit. Mm. When you're not, don't. And don't. Don't play with the gray line, don't whatever. You yeah. know, if that if it's meant to be, it will be. But it doesn't have to be right now. It's good. Thank you. I would say don't make the experiences of others more important than your own experience. I think I did that so much at the expense of my experience. And so I would love to tell her that it's okay, you know, for her to have her experience and uh, take up space in that way. I would tell my younger self to um, sit in the pain of loss, Mm. get to know it, and then rise from it, you know, learn from it. And then, um, much like Vienna saying, to honor myself, to like date with the truest intention, not to be afraid to ask for what I truly want. And to know that, like, uh, you know, this is someone else's quote, but the idea of like what is meant for you will never miss you and what Mm -hmm. misses you is never meant for you. And that like draws such a serendipitous nature to dating where you're not attached to anything. Yeah. Yeah. That's so powerful. I, I, I would totally agree with that. I think like my biggest lesson has been that relational grief or relational pain can sometimes be the most therapeutic and strength building blocks of our lives, you know, because we really learn to meet ourselves. I've learned to meet myself more after relationship failures or breakups Mm -hmm. or infidelities than I think any other parts of my life. And it's just because people are always mirrors for us. And that's why dating is so incredible and also so frustrating Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and all, all of the things that we talked about here today. So Thank you so much for joining me on Question the Rules. This was a really powerful conversation. Thank you for your stories. Thank you for your honesty. And thanks for your wisdom. That was just incredible. So thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. 